Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Please follow along on your phones or on your Bibles. Hear now the reading of the word. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said... When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Amen. All right, amen. Good to see you, New Mercy, 1 p.m. Just want to also piggyback on Liza's um, ministry that she's participating in. Actually, we had some of those uh, original members come to our church and uh, tried to recruit before. Liza's an old friend of mine, and... She's also an extension of our church. I don't know if you know. It's public news, so I can tell, right, Liza? <laughs> she, uh, she met her husband through one of our dating events uh, that we had every two years. So the last one we had a couple of years ago, she met her husband there. So I don't know if that ministry is going to happen this year again. I see some, like, some people waking up all of a sudden um, up there, but... Uh, she's an extension of New Mercy because of that, and an old friend of mine, I know she's doing amazing work. She's actually a lawyer, but she takes her um, time, separate time to do this, and I'm so glad that there are members of our church who are joining in. So if you have some time to spare, you have a heart to work with those immigrants, um, and it's a wonderful kingdom of God's work that they're doing, so hopefully you guys can join them. Um, with that said, you know, Happy New Year. I, I feel like this is the uh, last week that I can say that without being too awkward, you know, after this week into the last week of January, I, I feel like you really can't say that without people noticing, hey, that's kind of weird. It's not really New Year anymore. So I'm going to say Happy New Year again. But with the New Year beginning, there's some things that we all tend to do, or maybe not us, but a lot of people here in the U.S. sign up for, and that is to work out. You know, gym memberships always spike up during January. In fact, if you work for a gym, this is the month where you're trying to grab all kinds of people. And then later down the line, you can't even quit even if you want to. But that's another story. But as I run into people, even right outside, I saw Sarah and somebody talk about, you know, working out in the gym. And this is a common conversation that happens especially in January. People, for some reason, as you start the new year, feel rejuvenated and this you know, energy to eat healthier, lose weight, and work out. And although that has never been my goal, um, I, I like my one pack, and I have many other excuses not, not to work out. But um, when people work out, you need a goal. You can't just go and be like, I'm just going to work out. Well, you can do that, but it's helpful to have a goal in mind. Do you want to lose a certain amount of pound, you know, weight, or do you want to be at a certain shape to be able to pass certain tests or participate in certain events? So when you work out, you have a goal. And then once you have a goal, you need a plan. 
You need a workout plan. So whether you do it by yourself or you have a, a, a somebody who's helping you out, you need a workout plan. Well, here at New Mercy for the year 2017, starting in beginning of January, from our joint service, we had a new plan in mind, new goal. And that is to become the Church for the Broken, which we've always had, but we added the tagline, Church for the Broken, Call to Restoration. So this year, we're going to really focus on that the, the latter theme that we added on, Call to Restoration. How do we become restored ourselves uh, from our brokenness through God? And how do we restore our relationship with our Lord? And in, in doing so, with you know, trying to reach that goal, we need a plan, a workout plan. So this workout plan basically consists of working out three areas, right? Our kind of upper body, which we'll call spiritual life. And our middle core called soul care. And our... Uh, lower body called Christian living. So if you see the slide that's about to come up, you'll see that these three big topics are what we're trying to cover throughout the year in order to uh, be restored. So this is our path to restoration. And these are three big areas in which we're going to focus on. So under spiritual life, we're going to work out our prayer, our scripture reading and worship. And under soul care, we're going to work on repentance, forgiveness, and inner healing. And last but not least, in Christian living, we're going to be working on themes like character, relationships, stewardship, community, and vocation. Now, this is not an all-inclusive list. Obviously, in order to be restored and restored to God uh, and with God does not mean that you do just these things and we're all okay. But this is just a good beginning point for us as we go into uh, this taking a glimpse or getting a taste of what path to restoration can look like. And we're going to follow up these challenges and these themes through preaching, teaching, and uh, as well as cohorts, these small groups that we're going to form that you'll hear about in the next few weeks. So last week, Pastor Key wisely spoke about, under the heading of spiritual life, about Scripture, reading the Word of God. I mean... There ever was a, a topic that pastors like to kind of avoid, it's this theme of reading the scriptures. Not because we want to avoid it, because we don't want to do it. We see it as a foundational part of our faith, but it's, we speak about it so much that I think people just easily tune out. But Pastor Key talked about this uh, mundane topic in a very energetic, uh, delightful way. And he talked about, I remember it, he started his sermon with talking about power of words. Words that we speak, words that we listen to, they form who we become and who we are. The words that we speak and the words that we listen to, in some sense, if you think about it, really forms who we are, our identity. So Pastor Key talked about we need to really focus on the way we speak and we listen to the most important word that needs to be in our life, which is the scripture. And I mean, I know this very well. Being in the line of work, you know, in counseling, I know that the words that we listen to, words that we speak, really formulate who we are as a person. So hopefully you listen to that sermon and you are encouraged. If not, please listen to it on your podcast. And hopefully you're encouraged to read along the scripture with our church. Today we're going to look at another necessary area that needs to grow in order for our spiritual life to become healthy. And that is 
Sabbath. Another perhaps uh, boring, mundane topic, but as we dive into the Word today, hopefully you don't see it that way, and you see the importance and the reason behind why God put this even in the commandment, in the fourth commandment, that we must keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. So let's dive into the Word and let's pray before we do. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time once again to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. We come before you knowing that we are your sons and daughters whom you are pleased with. We just ask that, Lord, you may be pleased with our worship. May you be glorified by our worship. And may you be moved with our worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Free Sunday. Sounds like giving out free ice cream. But you ever hear a phrase, free Sunday? I mean, we all like free things, no matter what, you know, where you grew up, how old you are, what culture you grew up in. We just like free things. But have you heard of this phrase called free Sunday? There are plenty of us who enjoy free Sunday. And I experienced it. I haven't experienced free Sunday for a while, but I experienced it while I was away in Korea this past uh, summer. Um, for those of you who don't know, me and my wife and two kids were sent out to Korea, thank you, New Mercy, on a sabbatical for four months. And while I was there, there was one particular Sunday where we all got dressed to go to church, and we found that both of our kids, five-year-old and a three-year-old, they were both just having a, a huge fever. And they were just, eyes were getting red, they were um, foreheads were getting red, and we checked their temperature, and they just can't go to church. So I, being an amazing parent that I am, I volunteer. I say, honey, you go to church with my parents. I'll stay home, right? That was my free Sunday. As I saw my parents and my wife leave the door, as the door shut behind them, you know, as a pastor, as a good Christian, right, I'm supposed to be like, oh, I'm going to miss church worship. But to be honest, I wasn't like that. I felt relieved. I felt so free. I was like, yeah, I don't get to go to church today. This hasn't happened for a while. No one knows that I'm a pastor. I don't serve at a church. No one's texting me. No one's looking for me. I don't have to preach. I don't have to teach. I don't have to go around greet like thousands of people. It's just nice to stay home and do nothing. Right? To be honest, I didn't have pastoral obligations at church and no one was waiting for me. So I stayed home and I thought to myself, wow, this is a very freeing experience. There was a perfect reason or excuse for me not to go to church. And instead of longing for that time of worship or feeling sad, I felt great. Because now I felt like I had an extra half day to spend whichever way I wanted to. And if I had to take a guess... I'll bet that we've all experienced this at some point in our lives, where we miss the communal worship, right? It's, it's, it's a Sabbath day, but we miss communal worship, and instead of feeling guilty or empty, we felt relieved and free, free Sunday. This feeling of relief and freedom didn't last too long, though, for me. Um, I guess my wife was the wise one because I realized I wasn't free at all taking care of two sick kids with, like, snots coming out there, you know, crying and, you know, spitting out medicine. So it wasn't too of a freeing experience. 
But sooner than later, this experience of staying home on Sunday, which I didn't experience for a long time, made me start thinking about what is Sabbath, right? What is Sunday? Do I need to go to church in order to keep Sabbath and keep it holy? Can I worship on my own? Why do we go to church on Sunday? Why do we need to go to worship with other people? Can I just do it by myself? What does it mean to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy? And why is it that important that God put it in the commandments? I remember also this reminded me of conversations that I had with my nerdy Christian friends during college debating about, you know, is it right for Chick-fil-A to, is it biblical or is it good for restaurants like Chick-fil-A to close their doors on Sunday? Because they're a Christian organization, and they don't want anybody to work. They want them to worship. But on the other hand, you can argue, well, it's not like just because they close their doors doesn't mean that their workers go worship, right? And then we debated about, about you know, whether it's right or wrong for a church to teach its members not to shop or spend money on Sunday. And I know some churches that still do this. And I have a friend whose church... Pastoral staff, they, believe, they really believe this. They believe that you should not spend money on Sunday because what that does is, is it encourages business to stay open. Therefore, those people who have to work or who decide to work don't worship or can't worship. So is that right or is that wrong? I remember debating about whether it's right or wrong for a Christian to miss Sunday service for another event. Can you justify it? Or can you, quote-unquote, make up service on your own? If these questions or issues don't matter to you at all, or you never thought about it, I hope that you really pay attention today because these issues and questions really should matter to us because it's about Sabbath. It's about God and about God's commandment to us to keep this one day where we give it to God and worship God. Of course, you and I both know that lots of people these days view Sunday as a free day, right? Free day. And we substitute worship with many other things, and we have absolutely no problem with it. In fact, here in the Northeast, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, I feel like it's it's very prevalent to run into people. I often run into people where they argue, hey, I can be spiritual. I can be a good Christian, right, without being religious, I don't have to go worship on Sunday. I don't need Sabbath to include communal worship. I can just kind of do it on my own. Or, in fact, I don't have to go to church, right? I hear more and more people trying to argue their way to the idea that you can be a faithful Christian without going to a church or worship. But it hasn't always been that way. We might be getting used to that now today in our culture, but it really wasn't that case. It was actually exact opposite. From long before the days of Jesus, the command to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy was essential to Jewish faith and life and the early Christians. I mean, they kept it to the T. They said, this day, the seventh day, which used to be Saturday, we will go to church, we will go to synagogues, and we will keep the Sabbath. And therefore, on that day, we're not allowed to do anything. No work. There's still Orthodox Jews and very, very Orthodox Christians who still believe and practice such, you know, Christianity, a form of Christianity, right? 
Because they take this very seriously to honor the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders developed a wide variety of restrictions about what you could do or what you can't do on Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day that became, unfortunately, anything but free. It's supposed to be a free day where we worship God with the freedom that God gave us. But slowly, over time, because of a lot of these restrictions that the early church leaders and the Jewish leaders have added on, it slowly became, Sabbath became nothing but a free day. But it became a very restrictive day where we have to pay attention to what I can do, what I can't do. Think about it. It would seem that honoring the Sabbath is supposed to be about honoring God, right? But as many prophets have attested throughout the ages, you can't honor God from a sense of obligation. It's very difficult to worship God and serve the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul if you feel obligated to do so. Like, I have to do this. I must. It would seem that all the restrictions on what you can and can't do on this day takes the focus off from God and places it actually on keeping the rules. So the rules and my interpretation of the rules become much more important than actually God himself. In our gospel lesson today, in passage that we read in Luke, Jesus breaks a major rule for keeping the Sabbath. Right? He breaks a major rule. He healed someone who was not in imminent danger. And this was a big deal. Today, we would not think of it as a big deal at all. Right? But back then, if you, on Sabbath, did any kind of work, including healing somebody, right? Giving somebody help, that was considered work. So when Jesus comes in today's passage, as he's teaching in the synagogue, remember, he's preaching and teaching. There are people gathering around him. And then all of a sudden, he sees this woman. For 18 years, this woman is bent. She cannot move her back. She's handicapped, and she can only see the floor for 18 years. And Jesus meets her eye, And goes to her and calls her by name and touches her and heals her. While this is going on, they're the synagogue rulers, the Pharisees, the elders and perhaps pastors, priests of the church who see this action. And what do they think? Oh, they're not happy. To them, Jesus had just disobeyed one of the commandments. Not only that, He has disobeyed the cultural norms, the restrictions that they have created within the church and outside of the church that you are supposed to keep. So when he did this to them, Jesus was spitting in God's face and spitting in their face, saying that all your religious rules do not matter. And in fact, God's commandment does not matter to me. So religious leaders get really angry and one of them stood up. Right? Synagogue leader stood up, and what's his response? It says, he got up, and this is what he said. He rebukes who? If you see the passage, he doesn't rebuke Jesus face to face. Very cowardly. (laughs) He clearly wants to rebuke Jesus, but for whatever reason, he doesn't go directly at Jesus, but he turns to the woman who was healed and the people around her and says this. Right? 
rebukes the women and the, those around her. There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. The story doesn't indicate that she or others came to the synagogue on that day to be cured. It's not like they came, they're like, oh, Jesus is going to come, I'm going to get cured. No. They came to just worship. Jesus happened to see the agony of this woman and cured him and healed her. But in seeing this, the synagogue leader rebukes the woman and those around her. Oh, man, and how does Jesus respond? I love Jesus when he gets really fiery. We sometimes, I think, depict this picture of Jesus, false notion of Jesus that he's always peaceful and calm and loving and caring. No, there are times in the Bible like this where he gets fired up. I imagine the synagogue leader standing up on a podium, pointing his fingers and rebuking this woman and all around her. And then I imagine Jesus getting just as fired up, stands on the opposite side, points his finger at this synagogue leader and says, you hypocrites. See, plural. Not just this man, but he knows that all those religious leaders behind him support what this man is thinking and what he said. So he says, Jesus says, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and knead it out to give it water? He's saying, you guys have all these religious laws to what to do, what not to do on the Sabbath day. How God's going to be pleased on Sabbath day. And yet, you rebuke me for healing this woman who's been like this for 18 years. Because I see her agony and pain. I heal her. And you consider that work and you rebuke me and all those around us. And yet, you, look at you, hypocrite. You go home and you untie your ox, your donkey, to give it water. Work. You're rebuking me for a certain type of work, and yet you do a different type of work. You can't even keep your own dumb laws that you've created for yourself. That's what Jesus is saying, right? There's an absolute clash of worldviews here. There's no in-between. It's one or the other. In one side, they are arguing, how can you break the law like this? How can Jesus do this? There's six other days. I mean, couldn't you just wait one more day? You could have healed her tomorrow. Couldn't you abide by the cultural rules here? How can you insult God like this by breaking the fourth commandment? The leader of the synagogue is not being petty here. They really believe this to the core, that Jesus really disobeyed God and his law and that he should face an utmost penalty. His God has been insulted ignored and belittled by what Jesus has done to the synagogue leaders. But on the opposite side, this is what Jesus probably thought. How could you make her wait one more day? Don't you see her suffering? Don't you see her agony? Can you not see her problem and that I can heal her right now? God wishes her well. And why withhold the blessings of God What kind of God do you believe in? Jesus cannot believe the things that he's hearing and things that he's seeing among the synagogue leaders. And such clash of worldviews still exists today. We still worry about what it means to serve God well. Do the things that a Christian is supposed to do. 
and at the same time struggle with the idea that we are supposed to be compassionate and at times must break those rules. And this episode isn't the only time that the gospel reports about Jesus breaking the Sabbath rule. He breaks the Sabbath rule over and over again throughout the New Testament. And time after time, rather than following their restrictions, the honored God on the Sabbath by Sabbath by putting into practice God's mercy, compassion, and grace. And he does it again and again in order to show them Sabbath is not about following strictly a rule. He's trying to teach them that Sabbath and keeping it holy is not obsessing over rules. But there are people, even today, who are obsessed with keeping the rules, especially when it comes to Sabbath. In some ways, some of us still are obsessed with rules today. Some of us physically observe the Sabbath. We come to church. We worship. We sing the songs. But in our hearts and in our mind, God is not there. We don't really want to be there. We're there primarily because it serves us a function, personal or social, right? It makes us look a certain way in community, or we get to meet certain people, or it's good for my children, or, oh, it's because I grew up in the church, something I do. We follow rules, and yet our hearts, our minds are empty of God. There is no desire to know and understand God. There's no real hunger for God. There is no authentic struggle with God. And therefore, although we follow the rules, we are obsessed with it. We go simply because it benefits me in one way or another. And some of us honestly struggle with that. Some of us are obsessed with keeping the rule that we have forgotten why that rule exists in the first place. But others of us, There's others of us, especially today, we are obsessed with rules in a different way. We're obsessed not with keeping the rules, but we're obsessed just as much breaking them. Many of us have rules that we shouldn't have any rules on Sabbath. Why? We're free after all. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, so we should all be free on Sabbath. So I can be here. I can be home watching football. I can be hanging out with my kids. It really shouldn't matter, should it? So we think and we say, we don't really have to go to church or worship on Sunday to be accepted by God. So I'm not going to do it. We don't have to earn God's love. So I'll just be content in remaining who I am right now and not really do anything to change myself. We constantly skip worshiping God and do not think it's a big deal. And when when I mean worship, I'm not being restricted to You coming and sitting on chair at a church and worshiping. You can worship other places. You can worship other days. But once again, this question does not change. Do you keep the Sabbath and do you keep it holy? Meaning out of the seven days, there is one day, one time, right? Restricted time that I've decided that I will give all of myself to God. And when we miss it, we just pass by. We say, ah, that's not a big deal. I'll just do it next week. Some of us are obsessed with breaking the rule that we have forgotten why that rule exists in the first place. So either way, we're obsessed with the rule. The rule is more important than giving all glory and honor to God and worshiping Him. But what does Jesus teach us? He teaches us in this passage that ultimately 
Worshiping God on Sabbath is not about being obsessed with following or breaking rules. Jesus shows us that what it means to truly keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. So to Jesus, what is Sabbath? How do you think Jesus defines Sabbath? Well, let's see what he does first. Jesus, while he's teaching, while he's preaching, perhaps what we consider the most important highlight of Sabbath day, while he's doing, he stops. Because why? He sees the woman in pain and in her struggle. Stops what he's doing and he goes and touches her and heals her. For Jesus, worshiping God is not restricted to participating in a service at church. For Jesus, Sabbath is a day of worship, but worship is not obsessing over keeping or breaking the rules. To Jesus, Sabbath means to give undivided attention to God and the things that matter to God. To Jesus, Sabbath means to give Him undivided attention, all attention on God and things that matter to God. Free from the rules. To see and help marginalized individuals, people who are suffering, people who are hurt, whom I can show compassion to. He sees them and he breaks the rule in order to reach out to them. Sabbath to Jesus is paying attention to God and the things that matter to God. What matters to God? What matters to God the most is you and I. Those brothers and sisters around us who are broken. Those who are in need. Those who need compassion. Those who need to learn English to live. Those who need a job to feed their children. Those who have broken marriages and relationships that need care and comfort, those who have physical disabilities who need help and support, those who are emotionally hurt that we need to go reach out to and pray for. When you check in with God and you keep the Sabbath and you give God the undivided attention, I truly believe sooner than later, you will understand the heart of God. You will be able to see life from the perspective of God. What does that mean? You will begin to see those who are in need around you, and you will reach out and help. That is to keep the Sabbath. Therefore, Jesus heals the woman, and the result leads to a profound irony. What's the irony? A woman who's bent for 18 years just looking at the floor, comes to worship God, straightens her back, And sees Jesus and sees the things that matter to him. And her life changes. And yet there are the synagogue leaders, the religious leaders who come. They're straight. They can walk. They see Jesus physically eye to eye. And yet they're the ones that are blind. They're the ones that can only see the floor and do not see what matters to Jesus. One's bent, but she can see. See things that matter. And others are straight, but they're blind. Most of us keep the Sabbath. Most of us keep the Sabbath. All the while, all the while, scheming for the next thing or event that we personally are invested in. We worship God, but merely as something to cross off on our list 
of things to do as we look forward to the next item on our list. Our glorification of multitasking, for example, has engulfed the need to slow down and pay attention to the things that matter to God. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy? Well, telling you, we're really not going to know unless we slow down and we give full attention, undivided attention on the Sabbath day. Then we'll see what matters to God. Then it made me think about what keeps us away than from giving undivided attention to our Lord. There are many things. Many distractions, many problems that we have on a personal and communal level that keeps us away from giving full undivided attention to God. But for lack of better words, let me put it this way. There's a problem today with our society, especially us, with multitasking. We try to multitask with God. We come to church. We try to keep the Sabbath day holy. We worship God, and yet... We are multitasking in our minds and in our hearts. We have God in one hand, but we have many other things in the other. And we are just juggling back and forth. There are things in which I think you can get away with not giving undivided attention. Right? There are things that you don't have to like fully focus and give all of yourself to. And you'll be fine. But there are things in our lives where we must, we have no choice, no option, but to give it all of myself to this thing. Practically speaking, I mean, there can be many analogies being made. I mean, look at texting and driving. Look at how many people it kills, right? How many, some of you have been in accidents before because of it. When you drive, you're not supposed to text. It divides our attention. We're trying to multitask, but our brains, our, our, our lives are not made for that. So when you do it, what happens? Sometimes it takes lives, right? There are other things, practically speaking, that, shouldn't, that we need to give undivided attention to, but we don't, right? For me, one of it is, for most of you who are coordinated, maybe this doesn't apply, but for me, like, another example is like running on a treadmill. If I run on the treadmill, I can't even watch a TV that's over there, left or right. Because as soon as I look at it, I end up going towards that and I fall off. And I, I've, in seminary, I was running on a treadmill, which only happened maybe six times in my entire life. I, I was watching a TV that was in the left corner. And the sports center came on. I was like, whoa. And then I literally just went right back and went through the wall in the backside. Right? Maybe some of you are not like that. But for me, if I'm on a treadmill, I need to give undivided attention. But this is not just, just for jokes. There are, Things that are much more serious. Practically speaking, too, your relationships change if there are relationships that you need to, at certain times, give undivided attention to, but you don't. Imagine. Well, you don't really have to imagine because this actually happens in my house. I have a five-year-old son, right? He comes home from school at 3.15, 3.30, and until 8.30, I have five hours. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I wish I can just turn on the TV and let him watch TV, right? But... He's, he's my son. He wants to have a relationship with me. He, you know, thinks I'm fun. He'll realize later that I'm not that fun. But right now he thinks I'm fun. He wants to hang out. So I promise him. I say, hey, I can't hang out with you five hours. But for this one hour, I will draw pictures with you. But while I'm drawing pictures of Pokemons, 
I get a text message from Pastor Wanjin, Pastor Key. Oh, I have to, wait, Benjamin, I have to text back. I get a phone call. I got to take this. It's a counseling phone call. Oh, I got something cooking in the kitchen. I run to the kitchen. Oh, Hannah's calling me. My wife's calling Oma's calling me, so I got to go over there. Imagine I keep making promises with Benjamin, but I keep being distracted because I cannot give him undivided attention. In fact, it's more fair to say I don't give him undivided attention. Let's say I do that every day, every week, every month, every year. How do you think my relationship with my son will change? More dangerous than that. What do you think will happen to me when I don't listen to my wife with undivided attention? What happens is I go grocery shopping. I keep buying the wrong tomatoes. I keep buying the wrong mustard. I don't know why there's 20 types of mustard. There should just be one, right? But I buy the wrong kinds of apples. And yeah, you, we chuckle at it. We're like, it's not a big deal. But imagine that happens every time I go grocery shopping, right? She's going to be upset, and she has the right to. Why? Because I'm not really listening to her. And that goes both ways, right? I'm not just saying men don't listen to women, right? Just to be fair. I know you men are out there looking at me like, come on, let's be fair now. But imagine I do that all the time, where I'm supposed to give my wife and my kids undivided attention, maybe not 24 hours a day because I can't, but the time that I promise them I don't give undivided attention. What happens? My relationship changes. It deteriorates. It worsens. It lessens. And I devalue not only our relationship, I devalue who they are in my life. And oftentimes, that's what we do to God. We multitask. When it comes to Sabbath, God, I'll worship you, but oh, let me check my text. Right? Let me see what's what, what I'm doing next. next? Next football game. Where are we going next? There's one day out of the week that God says, give all of you to him. Sabbath. That's what it means to keep it holy and keep it. We keep the Sabbath not just because we're obsessed with rules, but in order to have a healthier spiritual life. Right? That's what we're talking about. To have a spiritual life that is healthy so that I can be restored onto God. That I can be restored onto something that God really expects and wants out of me. So, I hope that it really challenges you and convicts you. you know, I'm not saying it to judge us because I do the same thing. I have the same problem of, for example, multitasking when it comes to God. But I hope that... It really challenges us today to think twice. When it comes to the Sabbath day, when we give God His glory and honor and praise, that we do it without multitasking, that we really give Him undivided, full attention that He deserves. Let us pray. I want to invite us to just pray for a few minutes. You know, many of us really have a difficult time with this multitasking. Not even when it comes to God, but when it comes to other things. And I want to push you a little bit here. For example, if you really can't make it on sun- service on Sunday due to work schedule or conflict or a child's activity or even emergency, then I want to ask us do we set apart another time to worship God? Does that even matter? 
to us? Or do we just skip it? The question we have to ask here is this. Not, did I physically come here and give God worship? But if you can't make it, give God worship when and where you can and give it to Him. Did I simply replace Sabbath worship with another event or thing to do? Or did I care about God enough to set apart a time to worship Him? I hope that we take this commandment seriously and that we learn what it means to worship God by giving Him His Sabbath, undivided attention, so that we can see from His perspective, that we can see those people or issues that really matter to Him. So I want to just convict our 1 p.m. New Mercy right now. And let's just pray. If there prayer repentance that you need to give, please do so. If you just a thought that's in your mind, oh, I never really thought about Sabbath that way. I really never took Sabbath seriously. I hope you do. Because this Sabbath worship really matters to our Father. Let us pray.